0: AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at reproduction. And by propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Markets were closed today for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And the government officers closed too, but... We've got a fresh dose of Agritalk PM coming your way. We're fresh off reports on Friday, but there's more going on in the markets than USDA reports. We'll explore what might influence the markets in the weeks ahead.
1: Live. Well, from MLK <laughs> Jr. Day Afternoon via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Agritalk. This afternoon, we're going to run a full flip Chory, Chip and I will chat our way through the markets and later carry our tech from rtechadvisory.com. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Laurie.
0: All right, Davis. Happy MLK Junior Day. Yeah, man. Yeah. Th- this, makes, this makes the third out of the last four mm-hmm. Mondays mm-hmm. That, we, that, that the markets have been closed. Three yeah. out of the last four. I don't mind that. I really don't. You
1: don't? no not at all you know
0: last week with a full week it just seemed like it flew by remember
1: it did yes Mm -hmm.
0: yeah these short weeks i'm not too sure short weeks feel long
1: yeah it's uh (laughs) dr who fans you know it's bigger on the inside kind of a thing like you don't expect it it coming yeah that's what it is that's what it is through the door and oh my gosh here we are yeah
0: gotcha gotcha all right well welcome to Agritalk. glad that you are with us on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, hope that you are taking some time to reflect on the man mm-hmm. that we are celebrating today. Uh the his his message of nonviolence, his message of shared responsibility for peace in this country. Uh the, it 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 rang true in the 60s and mm-hmm. it rings true today, Davis. Hear, it, hear. It, it's it's a message worth listening to again. There's no question. Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All
0: right. All right. Uh we uh as you said, we're going to we're going to take a a little bit of a different path on the show today. We're going to explore some of the issues outside of the report data that we got on Friday yeah. that might be influencing the markets in the in in the weeks ahead. So I'm uh that that it's a conversation worth having, let's put it that way. Sure. Okay? Absolutely. Yep, yep. I agree. Yep. But, nonetheless, we did have reports on Friday. You got any details from that?
1: Um, Yes, just a few details here. Um, Let's dive in. Spillover pressure from corn and soybeans uh, weighed on wheat futures last week. Uh, On those USDA reports, Friday they estimated winter wheat seedings 34.425 million acres. That is down from a year ago, nearly 1.4 million below the average pre-report trade guess. Hard red red wheat seedings were down 1.7 million from a year ago. Soft red acres down about a half a million. White winter acres also down uh, to the tune of about 100,000 from last year. USDA put December 1 wheat stocks in all positions at 1.41 billion bushels. Chip, that's 23 million more than traders had expected. And finally here, 2324 wheat carryover estimated at 648 million bushels. Down from last month and ten million bushels below trade expectations. As of Friday's close, March HRW wheat futures were three quarters of one cent lower, six fifteen and a quarter. March SRW wheat down seven and three quarters to five ninety six. March spring wheat closed at six ninety-nine and one half down a half cent. You know, a lot of moving parts in all of that,
0: Davis. There's no question about it. But when you get right to the bottom line of why this wheat market is is as sluggish. As it has been, yes, yeah, spillover pressure from corn and spillover pressure from, from wheat or from uh, soybeans is, is part of the reason. But but wheat could be leading to the downside itself when you look at an export number at 725 million bushels. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't have enough demand in this wheat market right now to turn the, the fund sellers from short to out to long And I'm not sure what's going to make that happen in the near
1: term. Well, Chip, on Friday, USDA put the 2023 corn crop at a record 15.342 billion bushels, 108 million bushels above the November crop production report, and 116 million above trade expectations. USDA raised the national average corn yield from November to a record 177.3 bushels per acre. Chip, that was partially offset by a 583,000-acre cut to harvested acre, December one stocks of corn in all positions, 12.169 billion bushels. That came in 119 million bushels above trade expectations and the USDA's estimate of 23.24 corn carryover at 2.162 billion bushels is up from last month and was 57 million above the average pre-report trade guess. March corn yeah. futures on Friday were 10 and three quarters lower, 447. May corn down 10 and three quarters, 459. July corn futures closed at 4.68 and one quarter on Friday. That's down at 10 and three quarter cents. Chip,
0: I didn't hear much complaining about the 177.3 national average corn yield estimate from the huh. Eastern Corn Belt guys. Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear much complaining there. The Western Corn Belt guys, they were filling my phone up on Friday afternoon. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know where did that number come from? How could that be? That, that that's not what my yield monitor said. Why is my claims adjuster, my crop insurance claims adjuster, been yeah. so doggone busy this year?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. There's there's still some uncertainty over that production number. I hate to say it, but there is.
1: Was it Nebraska at a, at a state average yield of uh, 182 on corn? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, on Friday, USDA put the 2023 soybean crop at 4.165 billion bushels. That's up from November. 38 million above trade expectations. USDA raised the national average soybean yield to 50.6 bushels per acre and cut harvested acres by 435,000. December one soybean stocks in all positions at 3 billion bushels was above trade expectations. USDA put 23-24 soybean carryover at 280 million bushels up from December, 37 million above the average pre-report trade guess. March beans 12 and a quarter lower on Friday, 12.24 and a quarter. May beans down 12 and a quarter. 1235 and three quarters. July beans closed at 1244 and one quarter. That's down 11 and three quarters cents, Chip.
0: USDA made no change to the crush estimate for 2324, made no change to the export estimate in Friday's supply and demand report. Uh, th- that makes me think because I think both those numbers have an opportunity to move up, move total usage up, and bring uh, carryover down. So those numbers make me think that maybe we've seen the high watermark on the carryover estimate. Uh, maybe that's going to be the high of the year on mm. the carryover estimate.
1: Well, USDA puts 23-24 cotton carryover at 2.9 million bales. That's yep. down 200,000 bales from December. March cotton on Friday was five points lower, eighty-one thirty-one. Needs to buy some acres for this year, that's for mm. sure. On your livestock's double-digit losses in corn helped feeder cattle futures close modestly higher on Friday, while live cattle futures gave back a bit of last week's early gains. February fat cattle were down 42.5 cents to 171.37 and one half. April futures 40 cents lower, 174.17 and a half. And March feeders were up 30 cents to 227.70. And on the snout side, the string of higher closes in lean hog futures ended at six on Friday with the market under moderate pressure. Profit taking was noted ahead of the three-day weekend. Feb hogs seventy cents lower, seventy-one ninety. April hogs down forty-two and a half to seventy-eight sixty-two and a half chip.
0: Yeah, uh, the big story is going to be the weather in the livestock market here at the start of the week. Figure out exactly what that's going to do to the cash market before we can figure out how the lives uh, how the the futures market is going to react to it. So. these cold temperatures man oh man it's a blast of winter that we haven't had to deal with so far this year and and uh, the impact on the cash market is going to be critical all right again happy martin luther king junior day glad that you are with us today stay tuned davis and i are going to go over some of the other factors that might be influencing the markets in the weeks ahead that's next on agritalk
1: In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day, Agri-talk. Don't stop believing. Welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here. We're going to uh, we're going to get a little nutty with it here <laughs> on MLK Day. Uh, Chip, is it MLK Day or MLK Junior? Day? Junior, Junior, Junior. Day, Junior, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like Earnhardt and Earnhardt Junior. You know, <laughs> pretty decent distinction there.
0: I, I don't know if it's exactly the same.
1: <laughs> no, no, but you, you better remember that Junior, though. You know, That's if right. you're talking to Little Dale, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> um, today we're gonna we're gonna mix it up just a little bit. Um, we're gonna do a little something we call flipchory. Chip. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna probe your mind. Uh, okay. that... The database, you know, that okay. you just walk around with every day, that people <laughs> like us, people like me, I just take it for granted. You know, I just figure there's nothing more to know, but you've got it all up <laughs> in that noggin of yours, and we're going to see if we can price I some of that, that loose. What do you think? What do you think? Well,
0: I'll, I'll do my best. I will do my best on that. But it's it's uh, there are so many different factors, so many different issues that are having an impact on the grain trade yeah. right now that, Keeping it all sorted is not the easiest job in the world.
1: Well, and that's that's the thing is it's important to know. Well, it's important to know what's important and yeah. what's not. You know, it's right. like like you got to separate the noise from the chatter. You got to separate the info from the, uh, you know, the uh, the bovine excrement whenever you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so, a nice way of putting it. Thank you. In uh, given that. I wonder if you and I can just maybe take this opportunity to kind of walk through some of these markets, decide Mm -hmm. as we're flipping the calendar, you know, we're Mm -hmm. here in 2024 now, baby, there's no turning back. Um, Start us maybe with, you know what, let's just go to King Corn first. Okay. Let's start with King Corn. um, And I'm just going to ask you horribly, generally, what's the story here? What are are you watching? What's the story on corn, baby? Yeah, it, it's like you said.
0: We need to get rid of some of the noise that is yeah. in the market right now, and try to focus on what is really important. and And we we had a good year for biofuels in two thousand twenty three. We're going to have a good year for biofuels and corn related, uh, corn based biofuels in two thousand twenty four. But you know what? I don't think that that deserves a whole lot of headline. Uh, at least not at this point of the year. So, yes, the efforts to get E15 year-round availability in the eight states and nationwide eventually, it's very important. There's no question. Uh, which greenhouse gas model is used in evaluating ethanol coming out of the the uh, ethanol plants, that being the GREAT model, is very important for the development of of ethanol to jet down the road. But as far as it having an impact on day-to-day, week-to-week, and even at this point, month-to-month
1: mm-hmm.
0: trade in the corn market, Davis, I don't think that's where it's at. It might be at the end of the year, but that's not where we're at here at the start of the year. And and it's a weather market. Um, we, we need to figure out what the Brazilian crop is going to be Exactly. Uh, is it 117 million metric ton, or is it something south of that? I would argue I would argue that it's somewhere south of that because to this point, all the damage that has been done, all the damage that could be done, is to the first crop of corn. Uh, anything that we say is coming off of the Safrina corn crop out of Brazil is all speculation, and I don't think anybody's really – diving into that at this point but if we're at 117 million ton already and you got to take 10 percent off the brazilian corn safrina corn crop then all of a sudden it starts to have a big impact Hmm. Uh, Hmm. last week and some of the estimates that we got from usda and this is is maybe the most important estimate that i saw and it didn't i said from usda shouldn't have said that it came from Conab. Uh, 2023 corn export forecast. They trimmed it another 3 million metric tons to 35 million tons, which would be down 21 million metric tons from last year. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about an opportunity to get some market share back, there it is. That's what we're going to be watching through the first half of the year. How much damage is done to the Brazilian safrina corn crop, and how much of that demand base we can get back on exports.
1: Okay. Uh, Listeners, we've got a flip-chory conversation going on here. i got Chip (laughs) in the hot seat here on MLK Jr. Day. You mentioned the biofuels at the beginning of your um, talk about corn. I am concerned a little bit for the soybeans that, as far as domestic demand goes, we're looking at SAF, we're looking at all sorts of biofuels-related stuff when it comes to the beans, there's been talk it could impact acreage, it could impact marketing decisions, all yeah. sorts of stuff, and it just is too doggone soon, isn't it, Chip? On the beans? Um, we're
0: so close, Davis.
1: I'll I'll give you that.
0: We are. We I think it has a big impact on what's on on how the bean market trades in the first half of 2024. I really do. Um, it weather, how many bean acres mm-hmm. we plant, that's going to be number one. Number two on that list is just how quickly some of the expansion in the crush industry comes on board. How much of the 2023 crop are we going to use up before we get to the 2024 mm-hmm. new crop supply? So is it a 240, 230 million bushel carry, or is it 210? Is it 200? I I know that's a big drop, but yeah. with the demand and the crush capacity that is coming online, this is a huge story. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be the biggest. It, it it may feel like it's been slow to develop. Do you know how long it takes to build one of these plants from finance? <laughs> no, from concept to yeah. financing to breaking ground to mm. actually taking delivery of the first load of beans into one of those facilities? It's darn near two years. Yeah. So, all of this talk about, oh, all the money being spent on the crush facilities, where is it? Has it turned into more ex- more more crush demand here in the States? The number one answer to that is yes. It has turned into more demand because we're seeing monthly records for crush on on a near monthly basis. And we are so close to setting new all-time crush records on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be happening by the middle of the year. And when that starts to 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 develop, I think it has an impact on this bean market. You know, you look at the carry that's in the bean market, and this is where I think it's going to have the biggest impact. Look at the carry that's in the bean market. You got the January contract, which is in delivery, I know, uh, 1235 and a half. March contract, 1240. May contract, 52. July contract, 1259. So we've got carry in the market. As that crushed demand comes into the market, I think that that carry comes out of the market. We see the bull spreads really take over in the bean market.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, and when we when we talk about that, do you notice parallels when the ethanol stuff was, was taking sure. off several years ago, and now here we are? Are we setting it up right for the beans and the SAF?
0: Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know I don't want to play the SAF uh, card only. Okay, okay, because I mean we're talking about the renewable diesel and and the uh, uh, the the state incentives for for renewable diesel production, dude. We can, we've got to hustle to produce enough soybean oil. To keep up with the demand that is coming through the state rules and regs, to to meet that demand for the renewable diesel, let alone yeah. for soybean oil to try to participate in the sustainable aviation fuel market, which it will the it, it the market it, the the bean oil market will participate in in SAF. I just don't know exactly when that's going to happen.
1: Mm. That's good. That's good. Um we're we're going to run out of time here if we're not careful. We haven't talked about wheat at all. Do you have okay. any thoughts on the uh, on the wheat market?
0: Yeah, man, the uncertainty over uh Ukraine, the uncertainty over Russia. It's been the headline and the issue for 2 years. And I don't see it going away, Davis. I think it's going to be the issue into the first half of the month. The reason that I'm saying that is Ukraine was uninterested in getting back into a UN brokered Black Sea grain deals to move grain through the Black Sea because they've been they they've become so good at moving grain through some of the alternative routes. They're surpassing what were the maximums set under the Black Sea deal. So, boy... Ukraine is doing a great job of moving wheat when they can. I think that continues to put a cap on that market.
1: All right. Um, When we come back on the other side of this break, Chip, I think we should talk about some livestock. Uh, I'm thinking about demand. I'm thinking about demand here on AgriTalk. On this observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, an excerpt from Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Sometimes a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I have been arrested on a charge of parading without a permit. Now, there is nothing wrong with having an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but such an ordinance becomes unjust when it is used to maintain segregation and to deny citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceful assembly and protest. I hope you are able to see the distinction I'm trying to point out. In no sense do I advocate evading or defying the law as would the rabid segregationist. That would lead to anarchy. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for law opinions expressed on agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of farm journal broadcasting affiliate stations or sponsors our name says it all agritalk what more do you need to know and welcome back to agritalk everybody we're doing a flip jory today for mlk (laughs) junior day your pal davis michelson behind the big green leafy microphone of agritalk Talking to Chip Flory, Um, Chip, in that last segment, it was a bit of a whirlwind. The setup was a lot of chatter. Help me figure out what matters here. We talked about corn, beans. We talked about wheat. Chip, can you boil it all down here? What matters? How do I know? Okay. Um,
0: we we, We are going to get to the bottom line of what matters and why it matters. When we get to the end of March, <laughs> I hate to push it off for that long, you know, okay. but this grain market, we mm-hmm. talked about it with a couple of analysts last week. It's we, We're always waiting on something in this grain market. Mm-hmm. We're waiting on the next USDA report. We're waiting on the next rain in Brazil. We're waiting on the next shoe to drop in Ukraine. We're waiting. On, we're waiting. We're waiting on. We can. That, I think that will be part of a, a problem that will keep volume relatively low open interest relatively low and interest of the professional trading funds the spec money and it, it, it that interest will be low on moving it to the long side of of the grain markets in the, in the month ahead I, i've said this a few times on the show there is a big difference between incentive to get out of a short position into flat and incentive to get out of a short position to flat to long. I don't know what that incentive might be over the next three months. So price relationships between corn and soybeans are really going to matter as we get to the end of March and start looking at, at uh, what the actual planting mix is going to be. The expectations have been that we're going to lose four million acres of corn from last year, get us down to about 91 million. At least three million of that comes over, uh, goes over to soybeans. I don't. When you look at the revenue potential, and which one pencils out the best to pay bills, pay interest. Uh, pay for inputs, pay for, pay for, pay for. Mm-hmm. It, the mm-hmm. The needle is still tilted over to corn, Davis. Yeah. So, you know, agronomically, because last year was a heavy corn year, we could lose a couple of million acres of corn. But financially, economically, uh, incentive from the market, we're not doing a lot to move acres right now. I think that'll be uh, – A a very important number for us when we get to the end of March.
1: Okay, very good. Um, I want to flip us over to the livestock side now. And if if you feel appropriate, separate the feeder cattle from the fat cattle. Yeah, I think it's necessary. Um, And I want to go back to, we've had a number of conversations where cattle have come up. Uh, Greg McBride from Allendale, uh, 2024 production numbers, still friendly. The producer, he says, to me, that translates into tight supplies heading into 2024.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree and and the conversation that we had with Scott Varlick uh really put a separation. Well, Greg Greg did it too. Greg McBride did it too, you know it. Mm-hmm. He put the separation between the feeder cattle and the fed cattle yes, uh, markets as well. But but Scott Varlick last week went as far as to say that the feeders will be the leader in the so, in the cattle complex in 2024 if there's a rally. Mm-hmm. If there is a rally, Uh, We also talked with uh, Glenn Tonzer earlier today and got into some of his outlook. 2024 may not be the year that we, and I agree with him on this. Mm -hmm. I I think his timing is is really good on this. 2024, there's going to be a lot of talk about, hey, you know, look at what interest rates are doing. Interest rates have backed off. Jeez, look what that cow-calf guy is doing over there. Look at the money that they're making compared to maybe it's time. Maybe that heifer is finally worth more bread and out on pasture than what she is getting fed and fat in the feed yard. And when when, when that transition happens, which might not come until late 2024, which would which would give us a, a, a another step down in total beef production sometime in 2025 but if if that all plays out that way we we I think we can be steady higher on 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 fed cattle prices through 2024 but on the feeder cattle side of things Davis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was such a bloodbath on that dive from from the September high to the, the December low. It, the recovery that we go through at some point as you've not only got the feed yards bidding for heifers, but now you got the cow-calf guys that are also showing up at the sale barn and saying, geez, look at that pen of heifers. I can't let those go to the feed yard. Now they're competing against each other. Um it, the the feeder cattle market should be the leader if we're going to see a rally, and if, and if we're going to set up for that run, to potentially test the highs that we saw back in 2023. If if that if we're going to test those highs, that the feeder market has to be the leader in mm-hmm. in 2024. Mm-hmm. So, it big big difference between the markets right now, and and then. Beef is a completely different market on top of that, Davis. Right,
1: right, right. Uh, and one of the things that we're starting to hear, or at least did last week a little bit, is consumers are finally beginning to price shop for proteins, doing a little bit more comparative shopping, and the, the meat case grocers are beginning to respond to that, it seems like, anyway.
0: Right. It's been a long right. time coming. Um, the, the spot that I'm going to... that I'm going to point at first on this might be a little bit surprising. Okay. But when you go back a year ago, okay, a year ago right now, remember we were complaining that the retail pork price was not reflecting what was happening in the pork cutout or even the lean hog market. Yeah. Right? Uh The retailers were holding on to those high pri- higher prices weren't le- weren't giving any of the the drop in the cash in the actual hog market weren't giving any of that drop back to the consumer they're starting to do that uh you've seen evidence of it i've seen mm-hmm. evidence of it you look at those whole loin prices now in the meat case and what i think is going to be a a much better. And you know what? I need to mention, I read this in Pro Farmer, thought about it, and I think it makes a lot of sense. The ham demand market going into Easter 2024 is going to be much better than what it was in 2023. And that will be a great relief for the the pork market In the first half of the year, should give us, should give us. Boy, calling a low in the hog market is no easy job. No, Um, especially with the efficiency in the farrowing house, you can reduce farrowings and still have a bigger pig crop because of more pigs per litter, and that's making. You you don't want to discourage that kind of productivity, and but that's making it harder. For this hog market to put in what will eventually be a long-term low.
1: Well, and and clarify with me when you when you are talking about demand ahead of Easter twenty twenty four, outpacing twenty twenty three, and being a good market. Basically, mm-hmm. are you talking about a good market for me, Joe Schmo, going to buy you know a fifteen pound yeah, ham, yes. or are you talking for the hog producer who's like, man, I got to make some money here for Joe Schmo, for you and me. Uh, okay. going in and buying the ham. Okay.
0: Um, I think the, the 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 consumer is going to benefit from what is setting up right now. I mean, look at what the the pork cutout markets are. We the the the, the bank of hams is already being filled, mm-hmm. and when they're being filled at these prices, I gotta believe that every retailer out there is going to be advertising doggone cheap ham. Let's move some of that product through the system and then start to take a look at the numbers on the supply side as we get into the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to bottom out. You know, we'll bottom out on, sure. on hog slaughter in the middle of the summer.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're down here in uh, KC at My Preferred Grocer. They're offering, uh, it's post-Christmas. I mean, it's it's after holiday stuff, like you say, trying to yeah. get these, these hams out of here. We got to make room. You know, we got to get them out of here. Uh, 99 cents a pound. I thought that was pretty good. That's night nice. that that's late eighties
0: pricing, Davis. Well, and on the hams,
1: you, they had them mismarked too. They were did dirt
0: they? cheap, bro. They were dirt cheap. I yeah. hope you loaded the cart. I absolutely did. There's so much <laughs> ham in my freezer right now. We've already had a ham. It's great. <laughs> really it's a great good. sandwich. I don't uh, know if you oh. heard that or not, but Man. but ham
1: makes a good sandwich. You get some of those flaky biscuits, put on an egg, some ham, some cheddar cheese. You're good for all day. (laughs) Um, Okay, buddy. Um, Economy, economy, economy. Yeah. What are you watching for here? Is it a soft landing or are we all just in horrible trouble?
0: Soft landing, but we've got to watch what the consumer does over the next three months. If they continue to build uh, credit card debt even past the holiday seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Look out. Look out. Then they're, then we're spending, you know, we're using the credit card to buy groceries and gas instead of spending cash on those those staples. Yep. And when that happens, we usually run into trouble down the line.
1: All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up right there. We will be back with more here on AgriTalk. Davis Michelson on a chip flurry. Uh, that's a flip chory. AgriTalk. Chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on Agritalk. Right right Welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Your pal, Davis Michelson here. Uh, hey, um, interest rates, of course, a, a big topic of conversation. Uh, yeah. Chip, if, if you could just talk to us about your expectations for interest rates moving into 2024, what are you looking at? What should we be thinking about interest rates? Okay. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, steady lower. But I'm going to include steady in it. I'm not just going to okay. say lower. Yeah. Uh, you've heard me say uh, several times that lowering interest rates is something that should be reserved to provide a spark to the economy. It's not a reward. It's not a reward for getting close to your, infla- uh, uh, your the your, the inflation rate that you want. That's not what it's about. Lower interest rates and lowering interest rates need to be reserved for a time when the economy needs a spark. So all this talk about three, four, five interest rate cuts in two thousand twenty four, I yeah. think hey, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh I I would be you know, if the over under on it is two and a half, I'm taking the under. Two okay. at the most.
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh. Two
0: at the most. So but that's only because I think that before we get to the end of the year, the economy is going to be rough enough that it will need some kind of incentives to get it up and running again. Okay? Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, with that, we need to get over to Kerry Artak. Don't forget, if you head to ArtakAdvisory.com, that's A-R-T-A-C-Advisory.com, Kerry will get you signed up for a two-week trial of his daily service. All right, Kerry, what you got for us today?
4: Yeah, thanks, Chip. Starting with March corn, uh, actually, both March corn and March soybeans set off long-term sell signals last week when they closed below long-term support levels. Uh, Areas that have been holding, especially with corn, 460.50, we've been testing it for the last couple of months um, with different contracts. Most recent, of course, is the present March contract. And we closed below 460.50 last week by the required 1% margin. This is a former channel top that goes back to 2014. uh, And it held actually nicely for the last couple of months, but we've closed below it. And this tells me 439 even now expected over the next three to five weeks and over the next two to three months as we continue through winter and into uh, early spring. 412 even to 417 even. That's a meaningful support area that can, by that point in time, perhaps contain selling into summer trade. And by that point, it's anybody's guess, of course, with respect to uh, soil conditions and weather, so forth and so on. So bottom line with March corn, a long-term sell signal last week below 4.60. half. That is our ceiling of resistance, expecting 4.39 even over the next three to five weeks and the 4.12 to 4.17 area over the next two to three months where we could actually bottom out into summer activity. Now, upside, if we close the week Friday back above 4.60 half, that does neutralize that sell signal, but it does not indicate a meaningful gains as we move uh, into later winter. That would come with a settlement above 4.89 half. And so if we close above 4.60 half, I do think 4.89 half is a realistic two to three week upside target. Where we could top out by that point in time through February. And if we can close above 489.5, then I see meaningful gains by 32 half, then a two to three month objective. Uh once we, if we close above 489.5. But right now, heavy uh into spring trade below 460 half. The same is true with March soybeans. March soybeans closed last week for the first time below a rising three-year channel bottom at twelve fifty-four point seven five. We closed well below it. Uh, This has set off a three- to five-month sell signal down to 10.90. And this is a lead contract. So when March is replaced by May, replaced by July, they will all inherit these downside targets. A nearer term, 11.81 and a quarter, is in reach by the end of February or sooner. We could bounce there for a month perhaps. Uh, But closing below 11.81 and a quarter, we're just another month or two away from reaching that targeted 1090 even area, 1090 is a long-term support threshold. Once again, a three- to five-month target below 1254, three quarter, 1090 even able to contain selling into summer activity. Upside, if we close back above 1254, quarter, that does neutralize the long-term sell signal. Uh, But in terms of uh, meaningful gains as we move into spring, that would cover the settlement above 1277 even. So I consider 1277 even a two to three week target. If we close Friday back above 1254 and three quarter, 1277 even likely to contain weekly, possibly monthly buying pressures. And if we can close above 1277, even a descending channel top now that changes a little bit every week, uh, that should set off a meaningful uh, rally. To 1387 even within a couple of months of closing above 1277 even. But we're a long way from that. Bottom line with March soybeans and the broader soybean market as we remain heavy through winter below 1254 and three quarter. And finally, an update on feeder cattle. The March contract uh, is holding its own, having come off of long term support in early December, a three year channel bottom that is now at 216.35 and rising weekly. Trend support able to contain selling uh, into spring trade, possibly into later year, uh, and above which, over the next two to three months, still anticipating 236.92, where we could top out on a seasonal basis. As far as 236.92 is concerned, I considered a one to two week objective if we can close this week above 230.37. able to contain winter highs into spring trade. And if we can close above 236.92 over the coming month or two, then we can retest long-term resistance at 266.80. That is a 27-year channel top we tested last September and resulted in the big sell-off back into the 210s. In terms of the downside, we're not going to see it this week. But if over the next few weeks, if over the next month or two, we do close below 216.35 at the end of a week. And that is changing weekly, rising weekly. Uh, That would set off a long-term sell signal. We should then see 184.15 within two to three months. And 146 even would surprise me as we continue into later year. And that is all I've got for this week's uh, roundup. Chip, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thank you, Carrie. Good stuff there. Don't forget, head on over to rtacadvisory.com. Get signed up for a two-week free trial of Kerry's daily service. Happy MLK Junior Day. Spend a little bit of time reflecting on uh, the man that he was and the messages that he delivered and, and how they still apply to w- the way that we're living here in the in, in this great country and, and uh, what it means for us going forward. All right. Uh, come back tomorrow morning. Davis will be here. He's going to have a conversation with Paul Shadag from Farmers National talking land values right here on AgriTalk.